Well, good morning, and thanks for, for coming and uh, another wonderful podcasted lecture. You're speaking about bone abnormalities. That's what uh, I was assigned today, which is a kind of a catch-all for like, hey, whatever else is left in the textbook that you haven't we haven't talked about this morning. So, uh, osteomyelitis, avascular necrosis, and bony tumors. What do these have in common? What they have in common is that is that they have changes on the X-ray, which are not really a fracture, and there's something else, and they're like that lytic lesion. And like this is like when you get an X-ray and it doesn't quite look right. These are the conditions to, to consider. So we're going to do this a case-based format. First one is a patient that I actually saw um, a couple years ago who had long-standing diabetes and came in with finger pain. And he had had finger pain a couple weeks. It was kind of an insidious answer. He couldn't quite remember exactly what happened to him. He certainly didn't have any history of trauma, um, but his finger hurt and was swollen, and he had a fever, really nothing else on physical exam. So this is, the, this is the finger in question. You can see that the ring finger is very enlarged. It was obviously cellulitic. There's obviously a problem there. Um, here's another view of the same kind of thing. So we went ahead and got an x-ray. What do you see here? I very conveniently put the arrow in so you can tell all the problems. So you're seeing some bony destruction. You're seeing periosteal elevation. You're seeing basically um, lysis of the bone um, and formation of new bone um, by the infectious process. So what is this? So this is osteomyelitis. So this is infection in the bone. Um, osteomyelitis may spread hematogenously. So basically you get an infection somewhere else and then it, or in the, in the bloodstream and it spreads and seeds into the bone. This is certainly the, the, what you see in, in children um, with serious bacterial infections or SBIs. And that tends to be monomicrobial, single bug that causes that. And it's almost always Staph aureus. Um, used to be strep pneumo, of course, in kids. Fortunately, the, uh, the vaccine has sort of reduced that significantly, although it does still happen. However, if you have a, a patient with diabetes, someone with trauma, especially diabetic foot ulcer, breaking the skin, maybe um, a uh, uh, orthopedic procedure, then you have direct spread from another site, especially from the surface of the skin. In that case, you're talking about a polymicrobial infection. And diabetic feet um, infections are always polymicrobial. So Staph aureus most of the time, but also you can see gram-negative rods. Um, make sure you include gram-negative coverage when you're dealing with, uh, with diabetic feet. You may see anaerobes as well. Um, fungi are also possible, especially for those kind of long-term infections or chronic infections, especially of hardware, which is really a huge problem. Um, the, the, the onset is variable. I mean, you can, you, can, you can present fairly acutely with osteomyelitis. That's certainly possible. Um, more classically, you'll see, you'll see it develop after weeks. And, of course, in the case of, of diabetic feet, they may take months for really to develop. Very interesting study came out in 1995 uh, in JAMA where they looked at um, about 50 or 60 diabetic feet and looked at the MRI results or, or, or biopsy results later. And what they, they correlated was if you have an ulcer that's greater than 2 by 2 um, uh, centimeters uh, or if you can actually probe bone through the wound, in that case, um, a osteomyelitis is very likely or almost certain. What's interesting is that it had a very low sensitivity, but the specificity was 85%. So there was a kind of, it was a, the false, false positives were only about 15%. Um, but the positive predicted value of that is higher. Why is it higher? Because the prevalence of the disease in that population is high. So that gets back to, to Bayesian analysis and statistics. Basically, when you have someone who has a high prevalence disease. Diabetic, diabetics, especially in their feet, have a high rate of osteomyelitis. So 
the positive predictive value is going to be higher um, uh, in, those, in those patients. What you do if you work out for these patients, obviously you're going to get um, right blood cell count and ESR and CRPY because ortho asks you to. Is it useful? Probably not. Um, it can be useful. I think if an ESR is really high, that sort of got, helps me a little bit. If I get an ESR over 100, I'm certainly thinking about osteomyelitis. Um, it makes it more likely. I will tend to get an ESR because I know down the line I like to have that number as, as sort of dis tracking disease severity. I don't know if, it, if that really um, correlates that well with outcomes, if, if there's any really good scientific evidence for it. I just know in clinical practice that's something I, I personally use. Um, and certainly in, on the internal medicine side of things, um, I'll see some back in, you know, say in the ID clinic, I'll, I'll, I'll see that ESR, I'll see it getting better, I think that's good, or I'll see the ESR getting higher, I think that's bad. So I think it does, I think it helps um, me make a clinical decision. I don't know what the science behind it. Blood cultures are certainly uh, indicated. You want to get a culture, and bone is hard to get a culture from. By far the best test for this is a bone biopsy a culture directly from the bone. That's something that's not very feasible. It's done and will be done and will be done by your consultants, but you're not going to do that in the ER. Blood culture is something that you can easily do. So this is one of those situations where blood culture really is useful. Imaging. Obviously, you're going to do an x-ray initially. It's certainly available. You may or may not see it. Um, if you see it on x-ray, it's probably there. I mean, that's, that's a very specific disease. This, this one report I, I cited from radiology in 1997 said so the specificity is 70%. I think it's much higher than that. I think that's, I think that's really low. Um, but it's incredibly not sensitive. There's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of cases of osteomyelitis you're simply just not going to see on a plain film. And this is going to be a recurrent theme in this talk today. MRI is your imaging study of choice for this. MRI is your best study for looking for osteomyelitis. So if you're thinking about osteomyelitis, if you think a patient has osteomyelitis, the, the diagnostic test that you need is an MRI. The treatment for this is long-term IV antibiotics. It takes a long time um, to treat, especially in diabetics when they have not have good vascular supply to get to the bone. Um, bone is not particularly well vascularized, so the white cells don't, don't deliver there very well. So you need to treat them for a long period of time. Um, and if you've got MSSA, if you've got methicillin-sensitive, it's easy because you're using nafcillin twice a day. Otherwise, you're stuck with Vanco once a day. Um, and these patients are getting home IV antibiotics. You probably need to admit them to the hospital to get that to get that process started. They also may need to get a bone biopsy as part of that workup. Um, levofloxacin, not Avalox, not moxifloxacin, that we can and not Cipro. Um, levofloxacin is useful in these cases, especially for diabetic feed, because it covers the the particular um, bugs involved, including Staph aureus. Any questions on osteo? Okay, next case. Please get the blood cultures because it's a core measure. No. Well, you're committing somebody to six weeks of yes. antibiotic therapy, so if you know the exact bug and antibiotic to treat it, it's very, very helpful. So, since since the long-term antibiotic therapy is so long, and so, and the and the healthcare um, resources are so intensive for this for this disease, I think that that having a definitive diagnosis is very helpful. We we bicker and we um, dispute the importance of blood cultures. <coughs> useless, um, most of the time. But this is one of those situations where, where getting the culture of the actual organ involved is so difficult, I think that the blood cultures are, are, are important in this case. Okay. Next one, 22-year-old male, African-American, history of sickle cell disease. He develops a limp after playing basketball. 
But a month later, he's still limping, and he comes into the ER because of it. File signs, essentially normal. You get a film of the hip. And for those of you who were at the CPC last night, what am I seeing in every x-ray now? Yes, osteonecrosis. Basically, you knew it right before you even did the film. Why? Because everybody with sickle cell will develop osteonecrosis or avascular necrosis of their hip. These are just three examples of it. Um, and I'm having a little trouble saying exactly what's going on. You can see that there's some um, erosion here. You can see there's some um, loss of, of bone here. This, this film is a much more, this is a much more chronic film. It's a little bit easier to see where there's, where you have um, loss of the, of the head pulling back from that, from that joint space. Um, and you can tell that this would be very uncomfortable to walk on. I think the important take-home point in vascular necrosis, because the treatment we'll get to in a minute is not very easy to explain or is, is very individualized. I think from an ER standpoint, it's really important to understand who gets this disease. Where, what are the conditions that cause this? Because this is going to help you look for it, find it, that kind of thing. Anyone on steroids, if you're on long-term steroids, you will eventually develop some degree of avascular necrosis. And, and avascular necrosis and osteonecrosis basically are interchangeable. Um, so think about someone who's on lupus, who's got lupus, some, especially with the antiphosphate antibody, they're actually at higher risk for this problem. Someone who's a transplant patient, now that's a little bit less now because people are using ProGraph and, and more advanced immunosuppressors, but those are patients that st certainly are at risk for it as well. If they use alcohol or have HIV infection, well, those patients seem to be at higher risk for this condition. And the conditions you guys all know about and look for all the time is someone who has trauma to those six very important places in the body, three on the right side, three on the left side. That's the navicular, the femur, head of the femur, and the wrist. And what's unique about those places? So the peripheral, yeah, right, the, 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 right, the distal blood supply. So in those cases, the blood supply, um, it comes in to the distal part of the bone. And so if there's a fracture in that bone, then the head, the more proximal part of the bone, is cut off from the, from the blood supply. Um, so you want to be really careful about looking for fractures in those areas. And you want to those, treat those adequately. And those are the patients where you're, you're likely to develop osteonecrosis. In the um, navicular bone in the foot, it's known as Liz Frank injury. In the lunate, it's known as Kindbox disease. I don't know of any nomenclature for a scaphoid EVN. No, anyone? No? Femur, anyone? Come on, this is medical trivia. This is fun stuff. No? You guys don't like this? Move on. Fine. Good enough. Okay. Um, if you got sickle cell, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. Basically, half of all patients will eventually get some degree of AVN in their hip. It just, just happens. It can also happen at the humeral head. So not just the femur head. It could also happen at the humeral head. And for the same mechanism, it causes sickle cell disease where you've got the sickling and you've got the obstruction of, of blood supply to that, um, to the trabecular, to the bone. Um, the decompression sickness, which is the bends, um, where you get nitrogen bubbles in the blood, could also cause the same thing. What's interesting about that, it's a late finding. It's a late complication of the bends. So if someone gets the bends six months later, they develop AVN of, of some particular uh, long bone. Radiation therapy is very specific. You get osteonecrosis of the jaw in patients with head and neck cancers. Why do I know about this? Oh, that's right, yes. 
Um, I'm personally familiar with a head and neck surgeon who does a lot of this kind of treatment. And, um, and so I was asking about this last night. And um, when you get radiation therapy to a head and neck cancer, you're applying radiation therapy, which is very, clo very close to the jaw. The jaw does not have a unique blood supply like other long bones has. Um, it uh, tends to get the blood supply the same way that the teeth do. So it has a, it's less well vascularized than other bones. Also, it's right next to the really dirty oral mouth flora. And if you have an uh, invasion, then you can, you can get uh, infections very easily in that, in that, part, of the, in that part of the body. So they, those, that bone in particular tends to be sensitive to radiation injury. And what you see is you see avascular necrosis of the jaw. Um, that's managed, you know, uh, different ways. But one of the therapies for that in particular is hyperbaric oxygen. We're not sure how well that works, but they do it, they do it anyway. And the ones you really need to know for the board exam, pay attention, wake up, everyone. Um, leg calperthes and slip capital femoral epiphysis, or SCIFI. Um, and I always get these mixed up. So I put them next to each other, so make sure that you guys are completely mixed up as well and you don't remember the difference. I'll try to explain. Remember this for the boards. It's guaranteed there'll be a question of this one or two on this on the boards. Leg calperthes is idiopathic AVN of the femoral head. Idiopathic, so it just develops for no good reason. So all of a sudden, the kid's there, and then all of a sudden, the kid has AVN. That happens in little kids. So just after they start walking, so toddlers and young children, peaks at age five to seven, they just come in with a limp. That's all it is. So they just, and it's a really insidious onset because they just all of a sudden develop um, this, um, this AVN, and it may not be visible on, on X-ray. So you may need to get an MRI to see it. Skiffy, or slip capital femoral is an obese adolescent, just a fat 12-year-old. If you imagine the typical patient for these conditions, then you can keep them straight. So, so Skiffy is the fat adolescent, that, that, that fat 12-year-old, um, and, and it slips, and it tends to be an acute onset of pain, and that's visible by, by x-ray. You do the x-ray, you can see the abnormality. What's the abnormality? In Skiffy, it's the ice cream. The ice cream is slipping off the cone. So here's the ice cream. See on the cone, it's started to slip, and it's falling off. This is kind of not a real great case. This is a normal side. This is a side where it's been affected by it. And it's, and it's caused by eating too much ice. So there you go. There you go. That's the way I remember it. So Skiffy is the adolescent who's eaten too much ice cream, um, and they're obese, and the ice cream is falling off the cone. Now, in Lake Calperthes, you just have this development of osteonecrosis. And I will see this now in every, every patient I look at because I'm seeing it too much. Because it looks just like a um, growth plate. But this is the abnormality here. You see some lytic lesions, some changes in the end of that bone. This is something that you guys will see all the time, or certainly think about all the time, um, which is the scaphoid fracture. Um, so be aware of it. Um, this is someone who wasn't adequately healed and has now developed a lytic lesion in that scaphoid um, and possible non-union. So what do you do for avascular necrosis? Um, you were thinking about the femoral head, the x-rays you want to order are AP pelvis and frog leg. Those pictures I showed you of the kids, those are frog leg images. So ask for AP pelvis and frog leg Im images. Um, if, you want to, if you're worried about AVN, if you're thinking about AVN, best test is MRI. I know, this is a I know I've said it before and I'm saying it again. Um, for a lot of these conditions where you're not quite sure on the x-ray, or you may not be able to see it on the x-ray. If you're thinking about avascular necrosis, you may need an MRI to see it. 
The treatment for it really varies. It just kind of depends on what the condition is. Skiffy is actually a surgical repair. They basically pull that, that slip capital femesis back on the, onto the bone and pin it there. Um, sometimes they can be treated conservatively. Most patients, um, the sickle cell patients with this um, AVN, are treated conservatively. They're just really not, their bloods aren't going to get better. Um, there are surgical conditions if it gets really bad because of the point where it's about to, where the femoral neck is about to fracture um, or has fractured. Um, there are joint resurfacing procedures or even joint replacement surgeries for those patients. So it just kind of depends on the patient. And the very unique treatment, which you probably won't need to know for the boards, is hybrid oxygen is used for avascular necrosis of the jaw. Any questions on AVN? Very exciting stuff. Okay. All right. Next case. This is a real case. Approximately 40-year-old ER physician hurts his elbow. Mike knows this case. Uh, he was working in his garden. He was building a retaining wall, and he was carrying a heavy rock, and he kind of the rock shifted in, in its weight, and he went to brace the rock, and he held, felt a pop and heard a pop in his elbow, in his right elbow. He didn't have a whole lot of pain there, but he reached down and touched, and he could tell there was a deformity. He could tell there was an abnormality in that elbow, and he was worried that he had broken his elbow. Comes into the ER, gets an X-ray. Um, the only thing he can remember is, is he, he had a, a hyperextension injury in that elbow um, and was out for a couple of months um, when he was wrestling when he was in high school. But really, since then, he's had no problems and no systemic symptoms, and his vital signs were normal. Here's the X-ray. What do you see? How's the Lecronon? Lecronon is not happy. Not a happy Lecronon. So here's one piece of Lecronon. Here's the other piece of Lecronon. And if you want to imagine how this fit together, here's the, re the post-reduction film. So they, they just reduce them and just slap them both together, and they're just sitting right there. Right, sorry, sitting there right, right on top of each other like that. They kind of fit together like a big jigsaw puzzle. Here they are apart. And fitting together. So how does something fracture that way? How does something fracture that way? I mean, the, the trauma wasn't particularly severe. I mean, most elbow fractures you hear about, people, they fall on their elbow. This guy was like carrying a heavy rock. There was certainly a lot of stress at that, at the triceps tendon. And so what's a pathologic fracture? Leg lesion. So if you have a tumor or some other process that eats the bone at that particular region, place, the bone is weak at that point. And this is an example where you had a bone that was weak and just the stress of the, of that, of the triceps pulling on it um, ripped it off. Now, fortunately, um, this person did not turn out to have a bone tumor. They, uh, they, they were very concerned about a pathologic fracture. They did a, they did a biopsy of the bone. Um, and... Uh, the, uh, uh, they couldn't find anything. What they, they decided was it was a chronic fracture. They decided that he had, must have injured this elbow when he was wrestling, and since then it hadn't really completely healed and it was a weak point in the callus that had built up in the new bone, and it would split right at that callus. Kind of weird. But, but if you saw a case like this, you would definitely be worried about bony tumors. So the most common types of bone malignancies are... Multiple myeloma is number one, and I'm so sorry that Paul's not here um, because we were going to talk about that. Um, osteosarcoma, 
one you really need to know about. Chondrosarcoma certainly can happen. It's unusual, but it does happen. We see it in adults every now and then. And Ewing-Sing carbon, I'm just not really going to talk about today, but that's the, uh, kind of the fourth most, most prominent. Usually presents as a mass. I think a lot of times you're going to pick it up in the ER because you find a pathologic fracture, much like we talked about with this elbow injury. Um, but you can see secondary effects as well. We had a case last night where we were talking about the patient with the renal failure in the stone. We were worried about maybe this is a, as a result of a bony injury, a bony uh, tumor, um, and especially multiple myeloma. Multiple myeloma causes widespread metastatic lytic lesions all over the body. And in one place in particular is a skull. So if you do a plain film of a skull of a patient with multiple myeloma, you can see a bunch of lytic lesions. Um, a lot of times you'll pick it up in the spine because it's a really common presentation to somebody who's kind of older, who has low back pain, and you're kind of wondering about maybe a pathologic fracture or um, worried about like a compression fracture. You do a plain film and you see lytic lesions. This is an MRI of patient with multiple myeloma. We're seeing a bunch of lytic lesions all up and down the spine. Um, you may also present with, with renal failure or along with renal failure because the, the, the multiple myeloma tumor the tumor is plasma cells. It's a malignancy of plasma cells. And you basically get because the abnormal plasma cells over the body that produce antibodies. Um, actually, one particular, one particular type of antibody. It's called a monoclonal antibody. So you get one type of antibody that's just in huge numbers because it's one type of plasma cells just going crazy and producing cells. Well, those plasma cells invade the bone, but they also invade the kidney. So you get direct parenchymal um, involvement or in infiltration of the kidney, which causes direct, direct effects. And all that lytic lesion and all that lytic activity in the bone is going to produce high, high calcium and high phosphate levels. Something that I referred to about last night was the calcium phosphate product. So you basically have high calcium and high phosphate. Calcium floating around the bloodstream, phosphorus floating around the bloodstream. What does calcium and phosphorus do when they're, they're out on a Saturday night? They get together and they precipitate. Then they form calcium phosphate, they form bone. Okay, that's great if you actually are doing this in a femur. That's not great when you do it in the brain or in the heart or in the kidney. And in the case of the kidney, it happens all the time. You get kidney stones and you get direct parenchymal injury and you get renal, renal insufficiency. Um, you're going to see proteinuria. If you then do an electrophoresis, that's what Chris was talking about last night, the SPEP and UPREP, okay? SPEP is a serum protein electrophoresis. UPEP is a urine protein electrophoresis. You take that, you took that, that protein you're seeing, you do electrophoresis of it, you see where the, the, the peaks are. If there's one peak that's really, really high, you get a monoclonal spike, that's indicative of multiple myeloma. However, there are other conditions that can cause that monoclonal protein. We're not going to talk about them here, but, but basically the important thing is just because someone has you know, an abnormal SPEP or an abnormal UPEP or has a high protein doesn't mean they have multiple myeloma. You need to think about it. As an ER doc, you need to make that, um, make that conclusion and get them um, the work if they need. But it may turn out they may have, there are other conditions where they're not quite um, as bad as multiple myeloma. Something called MGUS, monoclobal glymenopathy of uncertain significance. Yes, that's actually a diagnosis actually in the books. Uncertain significance. Because we don't know how bad it is. Um, it's kind of in between. It's got not quite multiple myeloma, but almost there. So that's out there. Treatment is chemotherapy or bone marrow transplant. You will see multiple myeloma. Um, you may see osteosarcoma. So this is someone with an osteosarcoma basically obstructing their fibula. 
long bones, especially the tibia, is going to be the most, place, the most common place to see it. This is a malignant cell that produces new bone, produces osteoid. Um, mostly you're going to see this in, 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 in adolescents. There is a second peak sort of at the end of life, but mainly you're going to see this in teenagers. Present, presents with a local mass. You get some pain um, in a limb. Uh, you're not really going to see the systemic symptoms. So unlike other cancers, you don't see night sweats and fevers and weight loss. You just get this mass or you just get a pathologic fracture. So a football player comes in with a weird fracture of the tibia. Um, you might see something abnormal on, on X-ray. Um, most likely the femur also happens in tibia and humerus, so long bones. It tends to happen in long bones. Um, they're going to have changes in X-ray. Again, MRI is used for staging, so MRI is useful, but you're probably going to pick it up on X-ray. Um, and the treatment is, is surgical excision with adjuvant chemotherapy, and the prognosis is really good. However, you may lose that limb. This is different than an osteochondroma. Okay, I was just talking about osteosarcoma. What you may see is osteochondroma. Osteochondroma is a benign tumor. Osteochondroma is a benign growth. It's usually a bony spur just like that, growing off of, say, usually a tibia, sometimes a femur. Um, sometimes can transform into osteo osteosarcoma. Basically, you just follow it. Unless it's causing um, problems with, uh, with limb movement, basically it's, it's benign growth and you just follow it. So you may see that and you may be worried about osteosarcoma, and it may actually turn out to be an osteochondrome, which is different. Which is different than in a chondrosarcoma, okay? So chondrosarcoma is a malignant cell that produces cartilage. This is going to have a very um, subtle finding, or it's going to have findings that change actually in the marrow itself. Very commonly present as a pathologic fracture. Most of the time, um, they can be treated with, sur with surgical excision alone, um, and you'll see this in adults, especially over 50. Again, happens in the, in the femur, could happen in the pelvis. So although many of the lesions that we're talking about today can be seen on, on x-ray, you're probably going to need an MRI to better define it, or in the case of osteomyelitis, really to, to, to see it um, best. Osteomyelitis is a long-term antibiotic therapy. Be sure about the diagnosis. Um, think about midfoot pain, think about hip pain, think about wrist pain when you think about AVN. So six places in the body where you can get avascular necrosis due to trauma. Okay, so someone comes in long after an injury to those, those regions, it's reasonable to get an x-ray to look for that, for that problem. Um, patients with, with, who have, or on steroids, who have sickle cell, who've had radiation therapy, um, think about avascular necrosis. Um, someone who has a fracture and doesn't really have the history to go along with it, not really a history of trauma, you really want to be worried about a pathologic fracture and therefore, and therefore uh, um, tumors. So look for that. Multiple myeloma can really sock the kidney. Okay? So you have a patient with you think it has multiple myeloma or has multiple myeloma, make sure you get that urinalysis, that uh, calcium, phosphorus, and creatinine. A typical osteosarcoma is an adolescent, so a teenager with a pathologic fracture, maybe a mass. Typical chronosarcoma is an older male pathologic fracture or mass. And eating too much ice cream will give you skippy. All right. Thank you. Any questions?